You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. We are here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU sports broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves. Redemption? After some disappointing defeats and heartbreaking losses, the BYU men's basketball team is playing like the team that started out WCC play on fire. That's because their defense has returned to form. But the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell, reminds us it's been more than just their defense. We talked before BYU's trip to Pepperdine and Gonzaga. The offensive numbers are improving as we go. Uh, Back-to-back games scoring 89 and 81 points. They had a 91 against Pepperdine not too long ago. So the Cougs have shown signs of of being uh, to being able to play more complementary basketball, if you want to borrow a term from football for a moment there. Um, the numbers are coming up offensively, and, and that's encouraging. Uh, the defense is a great thing to latch on to, great thing to hold on to, but there are some upper-tempo teams, faster-paced teams, in which you're going to need to score, and, uh, and the Cougs have shown... Uh, the ability to do that of late. I, I just want to talk about defense just for a minute more. Where has it improved the most? Has it been out on the perimeter? Do you think it's down low? I would say perimeter just because I've seen a lot of steals. At least in that last game, we saw a lot of steals. Uh, team defense when it comes to rebounding the basketball. Uh, they're, they're creating a lot of one-and-dones for opposing offenses. And, and they're among the most uh, dispiriting defensive sequences when you allow possessions to be extended and give up second chance points. Um, they're, they're, they're not cheap points per se for the offense, but uh, they're the ones that, that impact, I think, your efficiency numbers most dramatically when you had extended looks at the basket. Um, and, and second chance opportunities can be very, very hurtful. And, and BYU's been a great defensive rebounding team. You could argue that the last two teams are the best that BYU's ever uh, been at defensive rebounding in terms of percentage of rebounds available. So I, I think just ending possessions with one and dones and getting uh, ending a possession is, is just half the battle for BYU. But beyond that, um, there is a real attention to uh, to closeouts and passing lanes and and uh, they what they call their dim numbers, the defensive impact metrics. Uh, deflections are a part of that, and the Cougs get a lot of hands on balls. And this past game uh, against Pacific, perhaps most dramatically. Uh, showed BYU with a significant edge in those deflections, steals, and blocks categories. And that's where BYU really kind of turned the game. You could argue that uh, that, that, that turnovers forced and points off of turnovers were what won BYU the Pacific game. Any individual that you've noticed, or maybe Mark Duran has noticed, or maybe Coach Pope has mentioned that has just really stuck out to you when it comes to defensive numbers right Spencer now? Johnson, I, I think, yeah. is the most impactful defender uh, for BYU. Um, he, he just finds a way to be in the right place at the right time. And it's not... Uh, not by fluke, it's certainly by design and by tactic and by instinct. Uh, he's a tremendous defender and, and often gets uh, gets tasked with the most productive wing defender uh, for the opposing offense. And I think Spencer's really performed quite well. Uh, Atiki, I think, has shown strides as a defensive player, especially as a shot blocker. Um, Foose has always been good for his size. I say his size, you know, he's technically 6'6", but with a tremendous wingspan and a real good closeout out ability as well. And perhaps more importantly than anything, overarching Cleon, is that, um, and, and it maybe took a while for this to actually become a thing for BYU, where, where the bigs, 
began defending differently, and, and, and the phrase the coaches like to use is guard like a guard. So even the bigs need to guard like a guard, and that means a lot more switching, a lot more playing away from the basket, and both uh, both Foose and Atiki have shown that ability. So guarding like a guard by the bigs is another big part of this puzzle. It's just two wins in a row, but it, it, even if you go back to the St. Mary's game, these guys— And look, the Gonzaga game yeah, even. Yeah, true. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. I, I guess for me, I look and it seems like, in some ways, they're feeling a little bit more comfortable— with their identity now, which is let's be really good on defense, see what that leads to on the other end. Is, would that be right? And don't turn the ball over 10 times in the first yeah. 10 minutes. I mean, you know, the, the, the Santa Clara-San Francisco trip looked bad, but it was made much worse by the first 10 minutes of both those games where, where they just could not hang on to the basketball. And you, and it's not, not a coincidence. These last two wins, uh, two of the most impressive wins of the year, were when BYU had single-digit turnovers. When BYU has single-digit turnovers, they can win a game by 20 points. Like, that's who this team is when they just take care of the basketball. Again, getting shots and making shots isn't the biggest problem on this team. It's just it's just making sure you get, it, you get into the offensive end and get into your flow to give yourself a position to take and make those shots. When they just hang on to the basketball, just at a higher level than they'd been in those 20 turnover games, they're going to be right there. Jackson Robinson came out and said, Coach, I don't care if I start or if I come off the bench. How big is that for him, for Coach Pope, and really the rest of this team right now? Whether it's Rudy or whether it's Jackson uh, or anyone else that's had to accept the role, uh, that's, a, that's a great thing for a coach to hear and, and, and know that you, I mean, right now, to be able to bring in a Rudy Williams and a Jackson Robinson off the bench right now. Um, two guys with starter talent. I think it's a great great luxury for BYU to have. Uh, on Cougar Tailgate, we talked with former Zags point guard Dan Dickow, mm-hmm. and we asked him why why the, the Zags have not been as good this year as maybe some of the years past under Mark Few. He mentioned no shot blocker in the middle. What have you noticed about the Zags team that you see that they quite aren't as good as we've seen in the past yeah, few years? M- maybe not the superstar guard um, mm. that they've had maybe in the past. That, 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 and, and, and they're never terribly deep anyway, but I, I feel like maybe they're just missing maybe one one or two guys of, of, of higher quality bench depth than they've had maybe in, in years past. But again, you're, you're really splitting hairs because yes, okay, they have lost a couple games, and that's you know losing two for them is big news. It's still Gonzaga. They're still a top twenty team in the rankings, and they're still the metrics are still there. The one thing that does jump out at you though is their defensive efficiency. I think is ranked around one eighty. That's not normal. So teams are scoring the ball better than they ever have against Gonzaga. And now, on most on most games, that's no problem. If the Zags need to score hundred, they'll score hundred. But uh, they they have been more defensively susceptible this year than they have in years past, and that defensive efficiency number jumps out at you to show that teams are getting better looks and making more than they have against the Zags in the past. Are you going to get a fruit basket or you know a gift when you broadcast your last game at the Kennel? Are you expecting that, or they're just well, going to be like, see you later, Greg, thanks for getting... <laughs> more the latter, I think, but I do expect and hope that BYU does pay more visits to the Kennel in the future as a non-conference opponent. I think this would be a great game to play in future seasons. Uh, not that BYU needs more tough games on the schedule going into the Big 12, but it's been a great series, and if there was one or two that we're going to you know keep on playing, um, if BYU were to keep on playing, I think Gonzaga-St. Mary's are, are pretty close to the top of the list there. So, yeah, I don't expect any uh, any any kind of parting gifts, but uh, it's been a memorable <laughs> series. And, and again, to have won back-to-back-to-back games in Spokane that BYU did at one point is truly remarkable. Uh, no one does that. I can't remember if I asked you this the last time I had you on. What, what's been your favorite place to go in the West Coast Conference to broadcast from? Like, it's like, 
I love the energy. I love the, you know, I love being there. And I'm not talking about the Marriott Center. I, I, we know what, mm-hmm. how good that place is. What, what's been your favorite place to go and what's like your least favorite place to go? And I'm not denigrating uh, any of the schools at all. It's just that there's something about some places you're like, man, I really like broadcasting from there. Yeah. I like the energy of, uh, of the arena or sometimes it's just like it's just not quite there. Or there's a little quirk here and there. Yeah, I, I, think I, I think I stick Gonzaga over St. Mary's at the top just for the size of the venue. Um, 6,000 as opposed to something around half of that, I think, makes a difference. Um, St. Mary's is much more in on you. The, the, the end walls are right there. Uh, it feels a little confined, a little constricted, um, whereas Gonzaga feels like a, a big-time basketball venue. It's 6,000, but it, it, it's, it's an arena, and it's always filled. And the student section's always there early and loud. I don't think you can compete with Gonzaga in this league when it comes to favorite places to broadcast from. And... and um, yeah, least favorite. Yeah, again, you're kind of. It's kind of a. You know, I don't want to paint anybody with a, a negative brush here. Um, you know, there, there are some quieter places. You know, um, and and you and, can notice it on the radio. You notice it on yeah, the radio too. Yeah, when you're and, and, and I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 it's funny. It, it's the most scenic place you're going to go to probably at, at Firestone Fieldhouse. But it's probably that's where you probably had the most consistently. Uh, maybe smallish crowds. Uh, Portland, for some, BYU's drawn really well in Portland. For that matter, BYU draws well at, at, at Pepperdine, too. Um, but I, I think I, I just record, I, I think, you know, Pe- Portland feels like a little bigger. Um, it's like a, like a small D event center, if you will, kind of a little dome there at the Child Center. Um, yeah, tough to really say who's the the least favorite, but there are some quieter places, and I think you like the louder gyms. A big thanks to Greg. The BYU women's basketball team has struggled since winning seven games in a row. So before a couple of big games against Pepperdine and LMU and Provo, I asked Kristen Kozlowski what's happened to this team in the middle of the conference season. I think there's always been some up and downs throughout the season, especially when you've got a roster that's a little bit inexperienced. Um, And as you look at some of the games that they've lost, they lost a tough one to a good Santa Clara team, uh, Pacific San Diego on the road. I kind of thought they'd get Pacific on the road. San Diego, I knew would be a really tough one with how they play and pressure the entire game. So Um, Three of those losses that have come in the last couple weeks, I think, are unfortunate. Maybe could have gone uh, either way. Santa Clara was more of a a blowout. It was a 10-point game overall. But uh, San Diego, very close. BYU was just down uh, 11, fought back, had their opportunities. Won too many turnovers, I would say, which has kind of plagued them, I think, in their losses. Uh, BYU with 19 turnovers overall, and San Diego scored 20 points off of those turnovers. So that's been something that I think they've been continually working on. When you're on the road, you got to take care of the ball as well. You mentioned the turnovers and the points they're giving up off of turnovers, but they're also having, at least in my opinion, they're also having a hard time scoring. Is it just not enough offense that we're seeing, or you're you're kind of making it sound like maybe it's a little bit of that, but they're also shooting themselves in the foot? Sure. I, I completely agree with that as well. I mean, it's a combination, right? So the turnovers are affecting it. It's a possession game. When you're playing a team like San Diego, for instance, last Saturday, um, Possessions are hard to come by because San Diego pressures you the entire game and you're giving it up that much. you got to be efficient when you're scoring. BYU just had two players in double figures, which was anticipated with Falatea and Gustin. So they really haven't had that consistent third um, double figure score, which I think has been needed, particularly in these games where they're coughing up the ball a lot with turnovers or you're on the road and going through some scoring droughts. Uh, Maybe Kaylee Smiler has stepped up here or there and... 
Ariel Mackey Williams, but that there's no one been that's consistent enough. That's kind of been that three headed monster right now. You're seeing this BYU women's basketball team with a two headed monster and Lauren Gustin and Nani Falatea consistently. Is there any way that coach Whiting and her staff can somehow prevent it? Or is, are, are we just so far in the season um, that it's just like, you know what? We have Nani Falatea. She's one of our scorers. Lauren Gustin, she's rebounding. She's scoring. Is there anything a coaching staff or a team can do right now to prevent such a reliance on these two players? Or is it just like, we're so far into the season now, maybe we just need to figure out how to play better defense and we'll see how things uh, go when, when it comes to the end of the game. Right. Well, this is a team that uh, for sure relies heavily on their defense. And that's first and foremost for Coach Whiting and what she wanted to implement um, in terms of having other players step up, all that these coaches can do is continue to prepare them, get reps in practice, get reps in the game, and then hopefully they're in- instilling that confidence in some of these players to shoot when they're open, right? Because Lauren Gustin and Nani Falate are drawing a lot of attention. And so these players are going to get open looks. And if they can step up, knock it down with confidence, that's what you need them to do is take those open looks. They don't have to force the situation, but when the defense gives them an opening, they need to hit shots. I do want to talk about Nani Falatea. She she has looked like she's turning into a nice scoring compliment to Lauren Gustin. She shot poorly against San Diego over the weekend, scored 13 points. But prior to that, she scored 20, 25, and then 27 points against Pacific, including six three-pointers. How do you feel she's progressing right now? Her numbers are for sure trending upwards. And you mentioned a little bit of a poor shooting game against San Diego, but she's Averaging 21.6 points per game in the last five games for BYU. So she's playing really well. She's been efficient. I think the key component for Palatea, she's been getting more comfortable and, and having that confidence grow and mature throughout the season. That's been a huge key for her to continue to get comfortable out there. She knows her role. She knows what's expected of her. Uh, the coaches or teammates, they all believe in her abilities with the ball in her hands. And I really feel like Nani Falatea, her best trait is her confidence. It's a quiet confidence, but she plays with a swagger out there on the court. And as you watch her, you just know she's tough. She shows it in the way that she plays. She has an excellent, strong build, athletic, uh, skilled handles, beautiful pure stroke, can hit it from mid-range, from the outside. So a three-level score at all levels. And then the confidence just to beat whoever she's going against. How much do you think she is benefiting right now from having Lauren Gustin down in the post? Oh, I think the entire team is benefiting from Lauren Gustin, frankly, <laughs> true, and, true. and her, <laughs> her consistency and, and dominance and what she's been able to do. I mean, it, it's really a fun one-two punch once you, watching Nani Falatea and Lauren Gustin. But Gustin now 50 career double-doubles, 21 of those have come this season. She's number one in the nation in overall rebounds and rebounds per game, averaging 16.4 per game. That's an incredible number given the fact that these teams have her high on their scouting report and know that they have to box her out. They give her one, two, three defenders that they throw at her, but she's so good at being efficient at scoring around the rim. And then you know what you're going to get on the glass from her. She goes hard every single time she hunts the ball, gives herself a chance every rebound because she does the work early. And there is not one shot that goes up where she's taking a break. She is going after that rebound every single time. I'm I'm going to nitpick on Lauren Gustin, and by the way, as I'm saying this, I think she's a fabulous player. I, I it you know just take it for what it's worth. So here's my little nitpick. I, I was a little concerned that she scored, I believe, 14 points in the last game, and and she's so active down low. But on the other hand, she didn't shoot any free throws in that game, she, and and 
and she's only a 57% free throw shooter this season. Should she force the action a little bit more to try and get to the free throw line? I know that's not always pretty to watch. I will admit it to you. But on the other hand, if you need to score, sometimes going to the free throw line is your best offense. Right. And I understand that perspective. I think it's a little bit more difficult if she's not the point guard or she's in a position where she's handling the ball as much as maybe Nani Falatea, who can really turn the corner and play downhill and draw contact. Lauren is dependent upon her guards to get her the ball. And so if she's working her tail off and she's getting in position and she's getting low, but she still doesn't get the ball, you, you can only do so much, right? And she's trying to create those other opportunities on the glass. And so it's very important for the offense for BYU and their read and react offense to work it through Lauren as much as possible. And I think when BYU does that, she is looking to be aggressive, looking to draw contact or finish around the rim. For whatever reason, she didn't get to the line a lot against San Diego. And when you're not shooting the ball well or you're not scoring a ton of points, that can be a key component to try to integrate in is is just get to the line, see the ball go through the hoop. Um, But I do think Lauren does a really good job being aggressive, trying to, to draw contact or score through contact when she gets those opportunities down low. Lauren is averaging over 37 minutes a game. Imagine that. She is playing almost an entire game, sands maybe two to three minutes here and there. How can Coach Whiting and her staff make sure she doesn't tire out or wear down as the season winds down? And by the way, do you have any eligibility left? (laughs) I wish I did, right? I sure wish I did because I would love to be out there playing after I've studied the game so much and now I understand it from a different level. But um, yeah, Gustin playing a lot of minutes. She's number one in the WCC in minutes played per game. Uh, Against San Diego, she played all 40 minutes. BYU, four of their starters played 36 plus minutes. And so Amber Whiting does not have the luxury of a deep bench. She just doesn't this season with the roster she has and the inexperience. Um, She relies heavily on Lauren Gustin and Nani Falatea. Those two players play the most minutes for this BYU team. And I think they've shown that they can with their endurance and their ability to play with a high motor the entire game, not taking a, a ton of time off, not lacking in their defensive intensity. We don't see Lauren get tired out there. And that's a huge component of her game is her endurance. She's got herself in elite physical shape to be able to play that many minutes and give Amber Whiting the most out of herself. And and that's expected of Lauren at this point in the game. It's a huge weight on her shoulders, but I think she welcomes that weight and she's accepted that role that she has to play a lot of minutes for this team to do well. Yeah, Lauren has been fantastic this year. She's been one of the the few players that has really carried this Cougar team. What do you want to see this team work on the rest of the season? We're we're in the second half of the conference season. We're getting ready uh, for the conference uh, tournament down in Las Vegas. What do you want to kind of see this team work on as we work towards that conference tournament? I think this is a team that always needs to work on taking care of the ball. With with that inexperience um, and you're getting on the road and you got some tough games, they're obviously home this week against Pepperdine and LMU. Those are two games they have to win at home to keep themselves in the mix and higher up in the conference standings. Um, LMU and Pepperdine sit at ninth and 10th in the conference standings, but they can sometimes be a trap game. And that's what BYU cannot afford to do is lose these games at home. Uh, These games that they must win or should win on paper. Those are games that we need to see them win, especially going into the end of February, the beginning of March, where coach Amber Whiting knows that this team needs to be playing at their peak. And that's what her goal is. She wants to continue to see them progress, 
and be playing their best basketball as we enter the WCC tournament in Vegas. Um, to do that, you've got to get games like this and, and get over the hump of, okay, on paper, we're supposed to win. Let's take care of business. Let's not have a lull. Let's not overlook teams and get it done. And that's a good sign of a team that's made a lot of progress and is getting better. That's Kristen Kozlowski. Coming up next, BYU men's volleyball is on the rise. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. The BYU men's volleyball team lost a lot of games last season, so I was interested to see how they would do after their first loss this season. They bounced back and beat a ranked UC Irvine team. That's usually what you want to see from any good sports team. I was impressed. But did BYU TV's Jerem Jordan share in my excitement? It was awesome uh, to see this team continue to take a step forward. BYU did beat Irvine last year twice, but to go on the road and do it in that gym where it's tough to beat the Anteaters. That was great. Good BYU crowd. You go to a fifth set, which is essentially the overtime of volleyball. You just played a 15, got the win. And then Ball State was good, too, getting a split there. So this team continues to take a step forward. And I'm excited this weekend to see if BYU can win both against UC Santa Barbara and equal last year's win total already. <laughs> that would be that would be nice. I, I do want to ask you a quick thing about Ball State. That that was impressive too because Ball State Ball State's number eight in the nation or what they were when BYU went to play them. They won one and then they lost one, six and two on the season. And you talked about how they can equal the number of wins just if they are able to sweep UC Santa Barbara. Y- you never want to lose, but. You, you got to be at least happy about how this season started. I mean, maybe they're not going to win a national championship, but the guys around you, or at least these guys, have got to be saying, hey, we're actually pretty good. They're growing, and the Ball State loss and win real tight. The, that was a tough match. You had several deuce sets, right, decided by two, where it's coming down to the wire. And this team that has three pin hitters, that is your opposite and your two outsides, freshmen or sophomores right now. Trent Mosier getting some look. Looks Luke Benson, Mix Romanus has had 20 kills in two of the last three. He's playing at a real high level right now. Number three in the league in kills per set and points per set. He's elevated. And that's coming off a week where a couple weeks ago they let him sit out, had some knee soreness. He's really responded. So it's a young group. Senior setter Heath Hughes made a big difference. You still have your middles, and you're figuring some things out. I, I really think in about a year and a half, BYU is going to turn a massive corner to be back at that title contending team in the MPSF and perhaps national championships. But we're seeing this team grow. And we said a couple weeks ago when we were chatting here that, hey, BYU is going to win some matches where we go, hey, and then they'll lose some where we go, whoa. We haven't had the whoa quite yet, but getting a split on the road at UC Irvine and Ball State, two top 10 teams, that's tremendous for this team, especially coming off of last year. They're they're very improved, and they're going to be an interesting team in the MPSF. You mentioned Mix Romanus. Is he their most consistent outside hitter right now? Yes. Uh, most experienced, too, because Luke Benson was kind of a serving sub last year. Trent Mosier is a true freshman. Mix had a redshirt year. That 21 season, that was incredible for BYU, number one most of the year. Went to the NCAA tournament, was on the bench. He got to experience that. He played against All-Americans in practice all the time. Got some experience with the Latvian national team this summer, which is exciting, like the senior national team. Playing at a really high level, actually played against Finland uh, for his country there. And then now he's the guy, and he knows he needs to be good. He needs to be kind of second-team all-conference level for BYU to be good. Perhaps he's first-team all-conference. He's playing first-team all-conference level right now, but it is early, uh, you know, early uh, February. He's the most consistent, and um, he's, he's got a great personality, super coachable, getting better, passing better, um, serving more consistently. 
yeah, he's he's got to be the main guy. And then you, you need two and a half good pin hitters. And BYU, I think, has that. They're just a little young, so they're dialing in that consistency. What might they be unhappy about on this young season? I I mean, we've talked about, we've gushed about them. We've talked about, oh, yeah. they're playing really well right now. And, hey, yeah, they've lost, but they're still playing well. And you're kind of like, yeah, the sky's the limit. But there's got to be some things that maybe Coach Sean Olmstead and the team members might say, yeah, we need to tighten this up a little bit. Service pressure is not good enough. They're bottom 10 in the country right now, although they have the number one server in the conference in Capono Brown. Individually, he's great. He's the junior, of course, among those kind of young guys, uh, uh, among those pin hitters. But um, he, he is a guy that has been awesome, but the rest of the team hasn't been super consistent. Now, aces aren't everything. You can get a lot of service pressure without the actual ace. If you get that team out of system, now they're passing past the 10-foot line. Now that set and that swing are more predictable. You can block that, um, or maybe it, they just hit it out like – that's what the game starts with is service and uh, serve-receive, right? BYU's got to be better at that. And then you don't lose that match to Ball State. Then you don't get swept by UC Irvine. And now maybe uh, you're 8-0 no, and people are going, whoa, look at BYU. But if BYU were that good right now, it'd almost be, it'd almost be a little bit of fool's gold. Yeah. Because it's like, I, I know what this team is, and they're getting better. I think BYU's good. They climbed into the top 10 this week, which is exciting. This team isn't a top five team quite yet. But honestly, I think in a year, year and a half, this team will add a few pieces and get to the level where we are like, oh, that's a that's BYU level volleyball. Right now we're sort of grading them on a curve of last year's irreparable, terrible <laughs> season like in BYU history. That's one of the worst. They've they've climbed out of that. They're more consistent. They're gonna win a ton more. They're gonna be really interesting. And that's good enough this season. Next year's it's gotta be like, okay, we gotta be on the cusp of a conference title. And then when Mix Rominus is a senior and and uh, you know Trent Mosier is a junior, okay, this team needs to compete for the conference championship. It's interesting too because here we're talking about two losses. I mean, I know it's only eight matches on the season. We're talking about two losses and maybe what they're not unhappy about in volleyball. It's one of those weird things because you can have a lot of losses and actually still be a pretty darn good volleyball team. Take the team that's coming in to play BYU exactly. this weekend, UCSB. Um, they're 14th ranked in the nation. They're two and seven so far on the season, but the teams they played are really good. They played UCLA, they played USC, they played really, really good teams. What do you think makes the Gauchos such a dangerous team coming into Provo this weekend? They bring in a lot of experience. Uh, Ryan Wilcox is a, a former guy that played, uh, you know, against Davide Gardini, kind of for that national f- newcomer of the year. And Wilcox barely won when Gardini was a freshman in 2019. And they're a team that, like you said, eight of their nine games have been against top ten teams. They've really tested themselves. They don't really care um, because they play in the Big West. BYU plays in the MPSF. It's all about racking up as many wins in conference. You're playing in the SEC, if you will, of football and Big Ten. Like These are the two best leagues, clearly. Most of the top 15 is from those two leagues. They're talented. They could pick you off. Uh, With that said, I expect BYU to get at least a split, if not take both at home. Um, for this team that continues to to grow in confidence. And uh, uh, Coach McLaughlin from UCSB has been there forever. He knows what he's doing. And, and those guys have some weapons that will be interesting. And it's not like UCSB is getting swept every time. And, right. you, and you have to look at margins. Like, if basketball was the best of five quarters, timeless, you wouldn't be like, oh, BYU lost 3-0 to Gonzaga. You go, well, what were the margins of those quarters? Like, that matters, right? Like, how close were you? Granted, I have a, a thing that 
Losers talk about margin. Winners talk about winning. <laughs> UCSB is playing good competitive volleyball. This is going to be a, a, a good couple of matches. Thanks to Jerem. And that's going to do it for this episode of Behind the Mic. Download and subscribe to the podcast wherever you find podcasts or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.